0: Getting split Getting ready. Split Getting ready.
1: split ready. <laughs> Getting split ready.
0: For my wife, God rest her soul. Oh, my
2: God, I'm so sorry. No, no, no.
0: she's not dead.
1: <laughs> We're just divorced.
2: Unscripted and honest discussions on divorce and separation.
1: Getting split ready. What was I supposed to tell him? I divorced you from the show? Here's your hosts, Doug Katz and Mariah Pleasant. Hey, hello, everybody, and welcome to Getting Split Ready. Doing a little bit of a different format today. Switching things up a little bit, in the studio with us today we have Rachel Hernandez, founder and principal at Hernandez Hogue Legal Solutions LLC, Alec Blaylock, an attorney for John F. Baker Law, Joyce Mutter, founder of Urban Balance, and Mark macnick Did I get that right? I did. Mark Macknick, founder of Mark Macknick is it LLC? Is it just where's Mark Macknick?
0: It's under Mark Macknick CPA.
1: Under Mark Macknick CPA. Got some great topics today. We're going to talk a little bit about pre and post nuptials. I kept spelling it wrong when I kept putting it. In. My spell checker kept, kept put nuptials. Uh, parenting agreements, talking a little bit intro on those. Counseling options to prevent divorce and, and some as you move into divorce. A little bit about taxes and divorce and then we're going to answer some questions from our audience. So jumping right into segment one, which is brought to you by Heartland Family Mediators. Heartland Family Mediators, we aim to bring peace to families navigating the economic and emotional challenges of divorce, divorce ends a marriage, not a family, and we are here to help you take control and craft an agreement that is right for your family. You can access them at www.hartlandmediators.com. So, our expert for this uh, portion is Rachel Hernandez, and as I said before, founder of Hernandez Hogue Legal Solutions, a fellow for the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois practices family law, collaborative mediation, and first offender criminal advocacy. Graduate of Northern Illinois University, College of Law, and Western uh, Illinois University, which bath- with a Bachelor of Science. If you want to know more about Rachel, you can go to Kane Family Kane County Family Law dot com. I got that right, right? That's right. All right, so let's jump right in. Talking a little bit about pre and post nuptials. What's the difference? I mean I kind of know because one's pre and one's post but can you talk a little bit and lead in a little bit on that?
2: Well, there are a number of differences. Uh, premarital agreements, obviously, most people are familiar with premarital agreements, right? They're for the rich and famous. Hollywood right? <laughs> they're only for rich people. Not, Not always. always. Yeah, they're you do that,
3: the Miles Massey, Massey, Ironclad prenup.
2: Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So um, that seems to be the most common misconception when it comes to prenuptial agreements is that I don't have enough assets to warrant a prenuptial agreement. Um, That's false, which we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, A postnuptial agreement, which spell check never can get that correct. So we're just simplifying that with uh, mid-marital agreements is what I like to refer to a a postnuptial agreement as. That's not really the technical term, but I think it makes a lot more sense because that's a lot of what we do in the collaborative context is entering into mid-marital agreements with particular particularly with um, separating parents when there are children involved, what do you do with the home, how do you make those payments? And Doug, you and I have worked on uh, yeah a couple know, deals. Instances like this where one person is going to stay in the home and deciding how those expenses, whether it be the mortgage, a home equity line of credit, Bills associated with the marital residence are divided between the parties and whether or not there's going to be um, one of the parties living in another familial home or taking on a rental and how that plays out in terms of division of assets and debts later on and avoiding litigation, really. Is it
1: it always about finances or is it just sometimes about like agreeing not to do something that could end up divorced? Like if somebody does something that bothers the other person. Is there ever an agreement? Like, I'm not going to do that anymore. Good idea. So,
2: like, right now, I have an agreement that my husband is going to oversee emptying the dishwasher. Really? You know, the children emptying the dishwasher. There
1: is a right way to do that. There is. I might need a copy of that agreement (laughs) because I might need the, you know, some of your services later, people do not start loading it right. So
2: here's the deal. So with children, mostly premarital agreements have to do with financial matters because... Typically, people don't have children. Um, a mid-marital agreement or a post-nuptial agreement, if you will, um, can have to do with anything having to do with the marriage. Now, enforceability, because there's not a particular act that's applicable, like the premarital, it's a whole other technical conversation that we could have. But we have mid-marital agreements all the time, and I think part of this concept came to me as I was mediating for parents in developing their parenting plans, um, you know, I would say to them, this is really hard, you know, taking care of your children and figuring out what needs to happen and how you're going to get things done for your children and protect them and give them the best possible upbringing, life, situation that they can have amid conflict is typically what I'm dealing with. you know how do you do that? Right. And and I've joked my husband and I need a, a an allocation of parental responsibilities and parenting time. And it got me to thinking that that is something that is needed. So is it in for divorce world. prevention? It could be. I think it, it could, could be. So that's yeah. something that's not how we're using it currently, right. right. but I think that that as we are evolving as a society and the way that we're doing things the way that society has changed and the difference in career realms you know two-parent working households i think that it's something that will emerge right as we go forward so right now we're utilizing that in the context of temporary agreements with divorcing parties or separating parties now they don't always get divorced and and I've seen it, and this is how I developed this idea of a parenting plan for married people, is that I've seen it where these people sit down and they come up with the plan of how they're going to get little Johnny to baseball and little Sally to her dance lessons. And it's just in coming to the table together that they realize, oh, we have to figure this out. It's not just your job or your job or Grandma Susie's job to do it. And if we have it written down and there's an expectation and everybody understands what that is, then we're doing a better job for our kids.
4: I think if you look at it kind of like a business, right? There's the business of marriage, which is separate from the romantic notion. That's right. But no one would ever start a business like, oh, I like you. We have a lot of fun together. Let's start a business together right. with no plan, no funding, no allocation of responsibilities.
2: You guys are in a partnership, right? Correct. Right. 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 And so, you didn't say, wow, you're cute.
4: No. <laughs> no, that's not how I our I have partners. a face for radio. That's <laughs> what, for what I sure That's no, not no, how no. our partnership you, started. Right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, but if you look at it that way, then it makes sense. And if a business isn't working, if it's not profitable... Right. What do you do? You restructure, you look at the bottom line, you you know, hire someone that has strengths that maybe you don't have, but that's the same type of concept as what you're talking about, that's right? Exactly
2: right. So maybe you have, you know, oh, we need a nanny, or oh, we need a housekeeper, or we need whatever, HelloFresh, or whatever these services are, not to plug somebody who's not a sponsor, maybe they will be next time. <laughs> um, but right but you know, uh. we need a service because I'm busy you're busy and yet we want to provide the best for our kids and we want to give them the best of ourselves and not subject them to there's this conflict going on and little susie doesn't make it to dance because we don't have our crap together
1: now is it is only kids i mean i could see it being you know i see a lot of people who got divorced because of financial issues right the mortgage comes to me and it's just a mess their financial situation is a mess Is it sometimes a mid-marital agreement where they're looking and they're saying, all right, we're agreeing that we're going to pay off this credit card or we're going to do something to improve our financial situation?
2: Absolutely. So that's a really great point. So most often that comes in the context of a premarital agreement where, Doug, you know, I'm sorry, but you had this huge debt from going to West Point, and you come in and your wife obviously doesn't want to take on that debt. So you say, this is a non-marital debt and we're going to isolate that from our marital estate Got it. so that's how it works in the context. go ahead go ahead
4: i was just saying i think that works too with um blended families when people are on their Absolutely. second maybe third marriages and they have children or assets they want to go specifically to their children or in different percentages than may be the norm is that something that you're seeing a Absolutely. lot of growth with that's
2: far more common people who are entering into a second marriage or a first marriage with a second marriage spouse mm-hmm. far more common do you see a premarital agreement because there are all these estate issues so when you when you combine your assets if that's what you decide to do and even if you don't decide to do that it's still considered a marital estate under the law of our you know of our code so when if something were to come up later you want to preserve those assets for, say, your children, or set out how they're going to be divided. That's the far more common thing.
0: Um, Rachel, does it kind of expand the divorce decree? Like, at, say, if it was like a post—you know—divorce issue, like you know, talking about, you know, like education, who's going to pay for it?
2: Honestly, I don't think so. I think that it. Brings them to a settlement agreement far more quickly Because they've talked through the issues. So Doug and I have worked on scenarios before um, You know one person is staying in a marital residence and the other person has decided to move on There's case law out there that says if there's not a reason to leave the marital residence Then the other person could claim dissipation, which is a legal term Mm -hmm. and the money that they spent then on that rental property, for example, could come out of their share of the marital estate. Well, if they agree ahead of time, look, we're not in a good situation right now. We need to be separated and we're agreeing to that. Then everybody's on the same page of what is happening. They're allocating those expenses accordingly, and then it just makes it that much easier to get to the final marital settlement agreement because they have some things delineated already.
1: But Joyce, I want to ask you a kind of question with this because you're it seems like you both do kind of the same you're in the same piece right where you're helping them on the legal side in a mid marital agreement a lot of times you might be helping them I got to go over the screen here you're helping them from a counseling perspective how much overlap is there are there are there things that you do that are kind of like that to try and keep people together
5: absolutely i love hearing what rachel's saying i love the idea of the mid marital agreement because it just sounds so much more positive than a post nuptial. The post nuptial, I think, is tied to prenuptial, and people think of divorce. And the post nuptial sometimes isn't, you know, it doesn't result in that, but it, you're facilitating conversations and communication about healthy boundaries and relationships. And I love the discussion around parenting agreements and how we probably could all use those. So, <laughs> I think we all need, it takes a village, and we all need helpers, and we're all helpers on you know, the same team, helping couples help communicate and live a better life.
1: Alec, you had a question.
3: I did, actually. Um, the the uh, prenup agreement, is that really affected uh, by the fact that Illinois is not a community property state, to where you know, any property that's brought in prior to the marriage is not considered you know, a marital property, unlike a state like Texas, where... community property like get married everything so
2: so i have an example that illustrates that point i had a client who came into the marriage with a non-marital townhome they got married everything is you know wedded bliss and they purchase another home they slide that equity into the new home and everything is going great for five years and then next thing you know they're getting a divorce And we come to the point in time where how are we going to divide this asset? Well, yes, there's a non-marital contribution there, but it's commingled. Because how do you differentiate what the value is unless you have a document in place, some agreement in place, and that's where either a prenup or a mid-marital agreement would come into play to protect that Spouse for their non-marital contribution.
3: Uh, but what if someone like didn't have like uh, that extra house they brought into it, where they you know moved in the, the equity into that house? And someone, say a marriage that had virtually no assets to that. So like, nothing. We're, nothing. Like, where uh, are there still benefits to the
2: pre- to nup, a prenup? A prenup. I think it depends. I think it more comes into play where there's a change in circumstances. So if you come into the marriage and both parties are similarly situated so it depends every situation is different you know let's say that we get married and you make significantly more money than I do and I make a much lesser amount and that's our marriage it's still all of those assets are marital property and all of that income is considered marital property so it wouldn't necessarily be apportioned as you know because you do this type of work in the litigation context it wouldn't be apportioned back in the way that we earned it. Oh, no. and, and people <laughs> find that very unfair.
1: But what happens, let's say you've got a married couple and somebody inherits like a, a, a huge amount of money, right? So Aunt Bessie dies, and all of a sudden there's a million bucks in there or whatever. Do people come to you and say, hey, you know what, there's too much of a chance of commingling. We could make a mistake, right? From the, from the tax side, I'm sure there's times people come to you and they're like, holy crap, why did you do that? Because now you screwed things up. Are there times when people say we don't want a mistake, and if stuff gets commingled, we still want something that will protect both people's inheritance or whatever.
2: Absolutely. So typically, if the person keeps that inheritance in a separate account that's in their name alone, that would be considered a non-marital asset, right? But what happens when I take the $100,000 that you know, Uncle Johnny left me, and I put it into a marital residence. You know, I put in my dream kitchen. And then it's not so clear. So maybe at that point, you want a, an agreement to say, this is my contribution by way of my inheritance from Uncle Johnny, and I want to protect that if something should later happen. The problem is, is that
5: Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just was... No, um, that's a new format. (laughs) Interrupt. Everybody (laughs) interrupts (laughs) each other. We like that. I I think that's great that you do that. I was going to ask about, because we're talking about assets, but I wonder if debt is also a consideration in the prenuptial agreements. Because in my practice, we hear of financial infidelity pretty often. Yeah. And, you know, it's common for one partner to accrue a tremendous amount of debt. Maybe they have mm-hmm. a compulsive spending pro- mm-hmm. problem, um, Amazon Prime. <laughs> <or> <laughs> that's not it. Like from know. Amazon Prime. I don't think that's Prime. a problem. I don't think that's a problem. There's stuff coming from nowhere. not a problem. No. No. My husband has uh, five or yeah, I, <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, mean, I think it absolutely can be. I've, I've actually had some guys where there's a big fight of where who's going to pay the debt uh, over, like, Credit cards that was just in one party's name, but actually going back to earlier, like with the with the assets, I actually did have a similar situation um, with a client where they had a for one party had a trust fund uh, that was set up by their parents, where uh, they specifically set up as a gift for that, but there was a little bit of a and that, like a kind of a mixer, like that's what we went to litigation over because um, they had used the the gift funds in that trust to pay you know off of a bunch of marital debt that accrued between the two and that's where we got to fight over that and it's like i guess that would have been uh, good if uh, they had the pre agreement about
2: yeah work. for sure
4: what about hypothetical inheritances what if i know that i have a loaded uncle and that money's probably coming down the pipeline. I mean, I'm Irish, I'd be a 100th in line, so that would probably never happen for me. <laughs> but theoretically, if I know there's money coming, can you protect hypothetical inheritances?
2: Well, there's really not a need to protect a hypothetical inheritance because the law is such that an inheritance, unless it is commingled, would be considered a non-marital asset. However, it could still come into play but when it's But that's state-specific, correct? That's
4: Illinois-specific. Yes, um, so of that course. depends on where you live if you're uh, not absolutely. listening from Illinois hundred um, percent so if I was in a state where that may not be kept separate by law, can I, can I do a prenuptial for something that and, I don't and actually have
2: of yet Of course, it would depend on the state in yeah. terms of their prenuptial agreement act as well if yeah. they have one which
1: so you can have it kind of say anything you want
2: Sure now enforceability <laughs> is enforceability <laughs> <laughs> <what laughs> is <not laughs> a whole a whole other matter. talked about the feather yeah. yeah.
1: I do, I think I want to end on one question is, and this is kind of for everybody, how the heck do you, do you, do you address it? I mean, pre-marital, I think probably is easier than mid, but how do you address it? Going to a spouse and say, and I'm sure you see it in counseling, hey, I want to have an agreement that either <laughs> protects money or prevents you from doing something that pisses me off or whatever. How do you address it? Like, what's a good way to do it where you're not doing more damage than you're trying to prevent by having the agreement in the first place.
3: Oh, don't say you don't trust them. <laughs> but but That's
1: will a they, good Will they question. assume that, right? Will they look and say, oh, you know, there you go.
2: I mean, I think education is a huge part of this, which is part of why I thought it would be a great opportunity to come talk to sure. you today, is just letting people understand and get some examples of how this plays out, because you just don't think of it at the time. You know prior to the marriage or even during and the most common example with the mid-marital is one spouse is going to leave the workforce and give up their professional advancement in order to stay home with children for example and how that plays out in terms of retirement savings and potential earnings so how do you do that it's a conscious decision prior to the marriage or during the marriage when you're making a decision if The person has a gambling problem, and you say, look, I want you to get help, but you're going to have to agree that this is your debt, and that you are going to do X, Y, and Z in order to remedy this problem so that you don't continue to waste our assets.
1: So you kind of approach from a positive angle.
5: Yeah, Joyce, is
1: that what you see you like?
5: Absolutely. I think diplomacy is really important, and approaching it from a place where you're expressing it from kindness and concern and care and saying, you know, basically, I love you, I care about our relationship, our, I care about our family, and this is really important to me for us to have these parameters in, in place. And, and boundaries, healthy boundaries, don't mean that you don't trust someone. They're there so that you have a shared understanding. And I think Rachel brings up a really good point about addiction. And how that impacts so many of us and so many families from a financial perspective. And I think that's an absolutely valid and appropriate time to say this is something that is necessary for our family and, frankly, for your wellness that we have these boundaries in place.
1: So it's interesting. I think a good closing point would be that family law is not always about divorce and counseling is not always about divorce, too, right? It's about milestones and life cycles. We're, this has been a great segment. We're going to pivot. Um, a little bit, move on to the next segment of the show. The next segment of the show, again, you're listening to Getting Split Ready. The next segment of the show is sponsored by Divorce Mortgage Pro. Financing a home during divorce can be challenging. Mistakes can cost money, and in the worst cases, they can even kill a deal. This is why you need a divorce mortgage pro on your side. Divorce mortgage pros have the experience and training to help you navigate the challenges of divorce mortgage lending and to ensure that you keep a roof over your head. Divorce Mortgage Pro is a member of the Split Ready Divorce Pro Network the premier place to find the professionals for your Split Ready team. Check out Divorce Mortgage Pro and other Divorce Pros at SplitReadyBut.com. Click on Build Your Team tab and build your team there. So we're going to move to... Do you want, do you want to introduce next one or should I go on?
4: Uh, you can, but if anyone's watching us on our Facebook Live and you have any questions that you would like any of our experts to answer, please send them in and we'll make sure we do that at the end of the show.
1: So our next segment is about parenting agreements. And our expert on this one is... Alec Blaylock, attorney at John F. Baker Law. Practice serious are conflict litigation to include family law with a smattering of personal injury, which we talked about earlier. Yes. Divorce can be personal injury based on what I've seen <laughs> in the past. A graduate of University of Houston and DePaul University College of Law. You can find his full bio at johnfbakerlaw.com. So we'll jump right in. Do you want to lead off on this one? Uh, sure.
4: Um... For people who are really in the throes of this, what is a parenting agreement?
3: Well, a parenting agreement is basically the the main thing that, at least in my experience, I guess fought about and litigated about uh, when it comes to family law and divorce, and that's really a matter of what we're going to do with the kids. You know, what's going to happen with the kids, Uh, who's going to take care of the kids, even though really a parent agreement actually, by law, only actually needs to say one thing in it, and that's who's the residential parent, and that's for tax purposes, because the residential parent is the only one that's able to claim the kids on tax returns. But other than that, it's very, really very flexible, but the most common thing that's in it is basically the parenting time, who gets the kids what day, uh, who's going to take the kids to see the doctors, who's going to take the kids to um, their extracurricular activities, uh, how many overnights does each parent get. and. So on and so forth. It can even include anything, amongst stuff like uh, maintenance. It can take the form as the final marriage settlement agreement, or it can be a separate thing on its own. And there's really a whole lot that can go into that. But like the main thing that people tend to focus on is the parenting time, with that because, again, was like if people tend to want to you know co-parent if they're going through a divorce, unless there's extenuating circumstances like one like if say one person were abusive or one person were abused abusing alcohol or it was just an unsafe environment for the kids that they want to co-parent and it's just basically okay how do we divide up the time with that because the important thing especially for those that are going to be paying child support um, the important thing is the overnights there because uh, it's 146 overnights is basically is the threshold for Anybody listening, say you want 146, at least in 14, Illinois, in Illinois, for anyone listening in Illinois, if you want at least 146 overnights and you get a 40% reduction in your child support, just don't let that be the only goal because uh, if you go to a judge and you go to a pre-trial conference and the judge asks you, okay, are you only doing this to get the 146 nights? No, that's not going to happen. The judge judge will not like you.
4: So I did put some feelers out into the world of the internet today in terms of what questions people would really want to have addressed here tonight. The number one question that came in was about this move towards shared parenting, 50-50 parenting. There's a lot of opinions and a lot of feelings about this, so maybe yes. if we want to have some time dive into that and weigh in, because it's it can be pretty divisive in terms of how it affects people, yeah. how they look at it, how it affects the payer of child support, the receiver of child support, the actual Kids, let's not lose sight of them. That's
3: uh, one thing I have a very strong opinion about because uh, I've seen some recent parenting plans uh, from well, always fairly the other side of like, in litigation where they do like a you know day on day off, you know the the kid changes houses every single day, and. I Practical. Will, I will, yeah, <laughs> if I they live in a two-flat, yeah, exactly, and they live in the same house. It, yeah. I mean, like, I understand from the logical standpoint of like, oh, it's 50-50 parenting. But what they're not considering is that's really tough on the kid to have to pack an overnight bag every single night, switch houses every single night, and it's just really stressful on the kid. And I, will den- I will deny that plan every time. I, will, I Under no circumstances would I ever tell my client to accept that.
1: What's a good assumption? Like, what are, what are we seeing now? I know that there's some changes. Are, are they effective yet in Illinois, or are they still being voted on?
4: Uh, the HB... It's being discussed in
1: a lot of the it's states. It's Being discussed yeah. in a lot, but it, it's the assumption of 50-50, right?
4: No, it is not. Presumption is different
3: than Pres-
1: presumption. The, I said assumption.
3: the re- rebuttable presumption that it's in the best interest of the child to be co-parented that is not recognized here in Illinois. There is no rebuttable presumption as of yet. It's being discussed uh, a lot of fathers rights groups uh, uh, you may have heard of are trying to push that
4: in the state right now, but as of as of now that's not happening
3: both or,
2: parents are presumed fit
4: yes correct the, kind of like the presumption of innocence in the criminal law system like we 've all heard that in um, you know the are presu- presumed innocent until proven guilty it's kind of that for for laymen that kind of both parents are presumed fit and equal to Parents, unless you can prove otherwise, different so the burden of per- yeah,
2: different burdens, correct. But yes. for
4: laymen's and people who are not in the legal system, I think that's the best. They're
2: presumed for- fit. However, there's currently no presumption correct. in terms of sharing parenting time. That's what yeah. I, you know.
3: But when it comes to the 50 50 parenting split, there's really there's really only two plans that I've seen that kind of work. Like I said, it, there's a number of different ways it can work because every family's a little bit different with that, but generally what I've seen, it's always, uh, you know, two days, you know, you split up, each parent gets two days, uh, from Monday through Thursday, and then they alternate to every other weekend, Friday being included in a weekend. So two, two, three. Yes. And I've also seen week on, week off. So it's like one parent gets, you know, this week, and the other parent gets the other week, you just alternate weeks. And it can be a little tough, because um, I don't, i done a little bit of research into, like, um, how that affects the child and uh, it's recommended that a child does not spend more than three days away from the uh, primary caregiver that's generally the uh, residential parent generally which is generally the parent with the majority parenting time so i i prefer the uh, two two three uh, plan as opposed to the week on week off because that like I said Ed, it's, I think it's a little bit better for the child to be no, uh, no more than three days away from the majority parent.
4: To Rachel and Joyce, have you guys seen some creative solutions for the, the more shared parenting, we don't have to call it 50-50, more shared than what it was, you know, 40 years ago?
5: Absolutely. I've seen very different situations depending on the couple's career. So their work travel or other responsibilities. So I've seen couples come up with some pretty creative solutions and, and not all of them are the same at all. But whatever works for them and for the kids, I love Alex's point about, you know, being mindful about the kids and their attachment and their stress level with transitions and trying to make sure that they're staying connected to both of their parents and also reducing the stress that comes from changing households. So I think there's a lot of different ways it can be worked out. I think, I think distance...
2: You know, oh, it awesome. is a main oh, yes. factor, too.
3: That's a big thing, especially when it comes to uh, the school, because you don't really want to disrupt the child's schedule that before the uh, divorce. You, you want to as little disruption as possible. So say, you know, a child goes to school in Batavia, and one of the parents lives all the way out in, like, Oakbrook or Lombard. That's quite a trek for the kid to go to school.
4: About 45 minutes for those of you that aren't in the Chicagoland area. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that, that's, that's quite a trek. So it, in that situation, it may be better to live uh, with a parent that lives within the school district.
1: One quick question, and, and it, it kind of starts with what we were talking about, about pre- and, and mid-marital agreements, where sometimes someone's not pulling their weight. Are there times where you sort of have the opposite going on? Uh, the talk right now is the assumption, not presumption on this one, the assumption that both parents want 50%. Are there times when one parent is like, I can hold the water, I can carry the water, but I need you to do 40%. And the other person, like, oh, I'm not going to do 40%. And the parenting agreement is more about making someone step up as opposed to kind of what we're talking about about shared goals. So
2: it's I, really hard for a court to enforce a parent to step up. It really is. And so, so
1: there are times where someone just kind of disengages. Well, what,
2: what there are a lot of like, of times course, where parents disengage, unfortunately. And, you know, unfortunately, the situation now. With the law in Illinois, with this threshold of 146 overnights, I'm have to say I'm not a fan of the current legislation with the presumption of the 50/50. The collaborative realm, collaborative practice professionals have been really working against this, and it's my understanding that the mental health Mm -hmm. realm has as well, because that is you know when I mediate for couples, for families let's sit down and figure out how do we take care of our children? And maybe the support question has to just come to the table because when you look sometimes at the difference, right, in the support Mm -hmm. amount, there's sometimes a thousand reasons why this person wants 146 overnights. And it's just, it's the wrong reason. We're talking about taking care of children and making them, Giving them the most healthy upbringing that they can have. And
3: that's why I said, you know, if uh, the judge asks you, like, if your only goal is to get 146 overnights, the judge is going to hate you. Nobody ever. But says nobody's going to answer. Though. Everybody
2: says, "I want to tuck my child into bed at night." Yet, yes. You know, they may not have tucked them into yeah. bed at night before. Can well, so that be
1: contested, though? I mean, how does that work if it's? think mean, If it's mediated, they're working together. But how? If someone's in that situation, how do you approach it if the other spouse is? surreptitiously trying to get the 146 overnights but really they're saying that they don't
2: it's extraordinarily difficult so right now we've we've moved to a model because of this i i believe that guardian ad litem and i'm a guardian ad litem they get appointed in so Mm. many cases now because people are fighting over overnights Mm -hmm. they can't reach parenting shared parenting agreements because i want 146 overnight that's my right i have a constitutional right as a parent <laughs> it, it, it the it, phrase the, my uh,
4: time my time just makes my skin yeah. so like, my time my uh, time
2: i come in as a guardian ad litem and and i interview these people and they both love their kids mm-hmm. you know yeah. that's usually not the issue so let's bring the support question the support number as part of the conversation to the table and then we get somewhere and i do do uh, that in mediation yeah,
3: my, my boss is also uh, john f baker uh he is also a guardian ad litem and every anytime he gets appointed that's the only reason he gets appointed it, is because it, of overnights
2: it, it's the it's not the intended purpose for the statute so unfortunately it takes some time you know when new laws are implemented for us to kind of work yeah. out the kinks
4: right. and we and we
2: learn that through practice the intent,
4: over time. the simplistic idea sure. of it shared parenting 50/50 Absolutely. is great the reality of it and i know a lot of us probably have kids both parents don't take each kid to half of their doctor appointments both sad. parents don't but take it, each kid to no, half of their no. extracurriculars there's a there's a divide and conquer mentality. We all and do what we gravitate towards.
2: Sometimes it's 80% on one side and eighty, and Correct. other times it's 80% on the other side. See,
1: I would only want the rarely half. is it 50 I only want when they're being I, good, when right. they're doing chores. They that's the half with, I want. Can I, can break want. Break I would put that in the agreement. <laughs> and when they're total buttholes, they're going to go with you the, get them, <laughs> the other one. Uh,
2: who I, I want to fight about who gets them when they're being jerks. That's exactly it. See, I like that.
1: That would be a good agreement. I'll take it
2: until get
4: 10 and you get the teenage years. No
3: kidding. This is also why I tend to be against... Like I, I guess I follow my colleagues. Are, I'm I against the uh, the implementation of the rebuttal presumption of 50/50 parenting.
2: I um, will pay you support to take them when they're uh, being jerks. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yes, but, i but, would pay a premium but, on
1: but that. Like,
3: but I'm against, against. that because like again, it's coming from the, the logical standpoint of like saying, oh, it's 50/50 parenting. It's split evenly. But it's just not a, a reality that can really happen to it's split the parenting everything 50-50 because the parenting agreements I tend to see is um, one parent tends to take uh, the uh, the child to their doctor's appointments. One child or one parent tends to take their kids to the extracurriculars and it's really just based on you know the convenience for each party and you can't how do you really allocate that 50-50 and have that really work out, because that's, that's that's really gonna lead to a lot of fighting, and that's really gonna lead to a lot more stress for the kid.
4: So a lot of our um, listeners and clients are pro se, or are attempting at least a portion of their agreement pro se, getting to as much agreement as possible before they involve lawyers. What's your best advice for couples who are trying to come to a parenting agreement prior to entering our realm?
3: I would say just be as reasonable as you can be. Because here's the thing. I mean, I never. say as an attorney, I have a financial interest to say that I recommend you don't represent yourself pro se. Is hey, why not hire me? But, <laughs> but really, the the benefit of hiring an attorney for that is because we have that emotional detachment for that. Even if I were, even if I were to get a divorce, uh, for that I would hire an attorney for that because just having that emotional attachment, it's really, it's really difficult to really, uh, you know, try to be reasonable, bring a reasonable offer. That's why you hire an attorney so that they counsel you, so they let you know it's like, okay, this is a reasonable offer and this is why for that. So it's really just, okay, look at what you want. Look at what you want for a parenting agreement. Bring it down a notch or two because because you have that emotional attachment to that, you may not be as reasonable as you think. And like I said, that's okay. Like I said, you have that emotional attachment. It's your kids. You know, of course you would. But just bring it down. Bring it down a few notches.
1: Now, do you ever do unbundled legal? We had a great show on unbundled legal. services. We actually have the guest who is there in our audience right now. Here mm-hmm. we have an audience. How about that? But we do. Would you ever have anybody, or would you ever help somebody if they wanted unbundled legal services? Where They've kind of worked up a draft, and you help them finish it, as opposed to kind of full representation.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I would absolutely help you with that. Uh, we we've, we've been doing that a lot for I would say like a our business clients that might just need like a my boss calls it a business tune-up. Like mm-hmm. you need like just some work with uh, your contracts or you know your um, articles of incorporation. So yes, I would absolutely uh, be open to helping someone. We probably do that for a flat fee, as opposed to per hour.
2: I mean, that's limited scope representation. In Illinois, there's a rule for that. Mm -hmm. And I am highly supportive of people working with mental health professionals, particularly those who have experience and a background in working with children and child development in helping them to devise their shared parenting time. And that might evolve over time as well and then looking at the legal aspects of that as well in creating that allocation of parental responsibilities and parenting time.
4: Or utilizing your services as a a mediator versus an attorney where you just help them. Because on some level, the people who know best what works for their family is them. If they can get past the anger and the hurt and all the emotional baggage that comes with it, nobody's gonna know the ins and outs of their day-to-day better than those two people if they can get to the table and do that work themselves.
2: That's absolutely right, and I think part of the problem is with this 146 overnight threshold, what I'm seeing with the court-appointed mediations is that they come to the table and they're saying, my attorney told me not to agree to anything less than 146 overnights, and and my attorney told me (laughs) not to agree to anything less Mm -hmm. than this. So that's where I think if they start in the counseling realm, they just tend to come to a better place than sometimes if they start in that litigation mode where it's, you know, you have to do this because it's going to save you a $1,000 a month. And sure it's your right. To, yeah. And it's your right. I
3: would also suggest for uh, those that, you know, have the minority parenting time that are pro se that are trying to get to 146 uh, overnights, there are a lot of ways to get there. And just because, uh, like, for example, there's a, I've uh, seen a parenting agreement uh, at my firm where they've had one day or, you know, or two just two days a week, so that's you know 104 104 days a year. But the thing is, uh, the thing that also goes into the pairing agreement is often uh, holidays, including like Christmas, Thanksgiving, and when you include like holidays, summer vacation, winter break, you can use those days to get up to 146 days, even though it like the schedule just says 104. Like spreadsheet,
1: oh. it'd be, it'd be exactly. tough. Exactly,
3: yeah. like I said, there's there are many different ways to get there. So just really try to broaden your view instead of just focus on one aspect. Really try to take in the whole, the whole thing and see exactly all, all that you're getting.
1: It's a great point to end on. I think we're going to move on at this point, uh, moving to the next segment of our show. Again, you're listening to Getting Split Ready. Um, the sponsor for the next segment is See Dick and Jane Get Divorced. Stay organized. <laughs> stay sane. Keeping track of all your legal documents can be a part-time and maybe even full-time job. Get the C Dick and Jane Get Divorced organization kit at jane get There you'll find all the information on pricing, current promotions, and all sorts of other great stuff. So we're gonna move on. We talked a lot about the legal side. We're gonna move on to some of the mental health and counseling side of it uh, with our expert on this part, Joyce Martyr, founder of Urban Balance, licensed clinical professional counselor. Urban Balance founder and spokesperson, motivational keynote speaker. I've seen her speak. She's amazing. Um, chair of the Midwest Region of the American Counseling Association, clinical supervisor of the Family Institute of Northwestern University, author, blogger. There's even more. Go to urbanbalance.com. You'll see all the great information. And I'm out of breath, so we've got, we got to move on Thank now you, and Don. ask you a question. So, you want to? I did that
4: last time.
1: I'll jump in then. <laughs> what type of different counseling? What do you recommend? People want to stay together.
5: Well, gosh, I mean, there's different modalities of counseling. Of course, there's individual counseling, couples, family, group. It really depends on the person. And a seasoned therapist can really advise you whether individual therapy or couples therapy is going to be the most helpful for you. So there's different approaches, different theoretical orientations, and lots of choices.
4: So one thing that I've heard more people talk about is counseling during the divorce process. Um, what do you think of that, in terms of how it works, or the logistics of
5: that? I think that's fantastic. I mean, obviously, I'm a counselor. I'm very passionate about the work. I think we all can benefit from it at different points in our lives. I don't think therapy is about being crazy or in crisis. I think it's about being sane and getting support and living your best life. And a therapist can help couples when they're going through divorce learn how to communicate better. I liked what you said that Basically, it's about learning how to become more emotionally intelligent, become aware of your emotions. You know, our feelings are waves of energy that we experience in the body, and to become mindful of those and learn how to kind of separate from them and communicate in a way that is respectful and fair and honest and also reflecting, taking responsibility for yourself and your own actions. So. We're all human beings, none of us is perfect at this kind of communication or conflict resolution, but counseling can help us really develop those skills and prevent you from having conflict and hardship for yourselves and for your children as well. I hear a lot
4: um, when people are going through marital counseling that one person really gravitates towards the therapist and one person can't stand the therapist and then, you know, all bets are off, they're Mm -hmm. off to the races and, you know, they feel like it's an imbalance, how do, two people who are obviously in conflict and having different personalities find a good match for themselves in terms of uh, marital counseling, I don't know.
5: Well, many therapists and the therapists at Urban Balance offer a free 20 minute consultation. So having a short conversation over the phone or in person Each having a vote on who they're going to meet with, maybe meeting with two or three and choosing one. So like selecting a jury, you each get a couple of vetoes to throw out. (laughs) Vetoes for sure, absolutely. And sometimes people want their partner to see their own personal therapist that they've seen for years and years. And that's probably not so fair that that therapist (laughs) is coming in with a biased perspective. So I think a lot of times I see male-female couples choose purposefully a male therapist, uh, because it's often the, the men mm-hmm. that don't want to come to therapy. And so sometimes that, that's helpful to have another male perspective in the room. And there are also some counselors that do co-therapy. So have two therapists in the room uh, with the with the couple. So there's some different choices.
4: I
3: never understood why the guys would prefer the male therapist, but then again, I grew up with uh, my mother, who's a counselor. So. Right. You had a
5: yeah. good role model. <laughs> So
1: I remember in when I saw you speak, you were talking a little bit about sometimes counseling before there 's an issue, and I think you were talking about when when the baby's on the way, that 's like a huge milestone that causes issues or when there's something that's going to cause financial strain. Talk a little bit about you know anticipating that and, and, and doing that.
5: Yeah, I think that going to therapy is like going to the dentist it 's a preventative and proactive form of health care. And life transitions are stressful and bring about new responsibilities and circumstances that present new challenges for couples. So we all know about premarital counseling, that's very popular, but I really saw in my practice and frankly in my own life experience that the transition to parenthood is also very stressful. And the research shows that two-thirds of couples experience serious marital decline during the first two years of parenthood. And I two believe years. in pre-baby <laughs> couples counseling. <laughs> I'm, I'm
1: like 16, and I still haven't transitioned. <laughs> right, <on. laughs> right.
5: <laughs> yeah. absolutely. But I, I think we spend more time decorating the nursery than preparing our relationships and talking about the division of labor. Who's going to do what? Who's going to get up in the middle of the night? And what if... I go back to work and I I don't wanna be away from the baby and I wanna be at home. How is that gonna affect our relationship? Any transitions, uh, I think another time couples can benefit from counseling is during the, before empty nest Mm -hmm. and then before retirement. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes at retirement, they're looking at each other like, oh no, we're gonna be at home (laughs) together. (laughs) Just the two of us and what are we gonna (laughs) do and where are you gonna go? So, yeah, sounds I think like there should actually all.
1: be preconception counseling <laughs> because once they're pregnant, the, 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 the horse left the barn, you cannot, you know, pull that one back. So if <laughs> right. they decide they can't agree, you're, you're kind of screwed <laughs> at that point. So I have a question about success rates, right? Do you, do you see, is there a success rate for couples who come to counseling and try and save the marriage? Is there, is there a way to measure that? Like, do, what do you see from that?
5: I I saw that it's about 50-50, so I think there's just too many variables to have an accurate read on that. I think it depends on the couple, on their relationship, on the circumstances. It may depend on the therapist. There's so many different variables to consider, but I think therapy is always helpful for all of us. We can all benefit from it and learn about ourselves. I think we all unconsciously repeat what's familiar to us until we become aware and we choose different ways of relating and we all I believe I don't believe in failed relationships or broken families I believe that relationships come into our lives as opportunities for learning and growth and sometimes they work out and sometimes they need to end and if we can learn and become better people through that process I think that's all it's really about.
4: What are your thoughts on therapy for the children as they're going through? uh, They're also going through this divorce process with their parents. I know that sometimes people are afraid of the stigma of putting their kids in therapy, or there's arguments about cost and logistics, but what's your thought on that for the kids?
5: I think it's a great thing to offer to provide additional support. Also, encouraging them to meet with their school counselor because they're at their schools so many hours of the week there's a professional available to them that knows their friend group and how they're behaving at school so that's another opportunity for support that doesn't cost anything to the family and doesn't have that logistical challenge and oftentimes the counseling if they're seeing somebody in private practice may become family therapy where mm-hmm. issues like the you know the the parenting time or different parenting styles or whatever might be impacting the kid, they have an advocate. They have somebody who can listen to them and maybe perhaps meet with both mom and dad and help the conversation. So it might not just be individual therapy. And you know, again, I believe no shame, no stigma. We can all benefit from it. Doesn't mean we're crazy. I think we all deal with stress or anxiety or depression or relationship issues as part of the human condition and therapy is something that can help us move forward. I've also seen that a lot of the
4: junior highs and high
5: schools are starting to have
4: peer groups for kids going through uh, their parents' divorce so that they don't feel so different or alone because I think even the most well-adjusted child in the most amicable divorce, you know, a teenage girl's gonna complain about mom. But she course. can't really complain
5: about mom to dad anymore because then it feels different than it did when they were a couple. Those are great points, and I love those groups and Rainbows groups and things like that. Groups are very normalizing and validating that there are other people experiencing these same situations. We don't have to not talk about it. We don't have to have shame and secrecy and feel like our family isn't normal or healthy because we have these issues but to know that other people deal with these things too, and that our feelings are a normal response to those circumstances. For, for the
1: attorneys, you know, one thing that I've always kind of wondered is someone comes in, right? The first step people think of in a divorce is, I gotta, I gotta lawyer up, right? I gotta get an attorney, I gotta get representation. When they come to you, is one of the questions, have you, have you talked to, have you done therapy yet? Have you tried to save the marriage yet? That's
2: number one. Okay. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Right, So if they go to Joyce and they can work through some of these things, and and I even, I don't even call it therapy. I mean, this is personal development. We focus as attorneys, we're required as mental health professionals, you're required to have continuing education. Why would we be ashamed of furthering ourselves in our personal development? I don't understand that. So that's number one. When, I mean, it's on my intake sheet. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing a therapist? Will you tell me their name? Sometimes mm. I get good referrals for other clients. I was
1: going to say, I can see right now mid-marital yeah. agreements going for back sure. and forth with for the counselor. That's you know, this, fantastic. This is a great thing. You
2: know, awesome. they need it. And, it. and if they don't, then I give them three names because it is such a huge transition. And, you know, losing that attachment relationship or transitioning... They they need to have that. Department. How about
3: you? I say we typically do recommend a counselor. Although by the time usually uh, about say by like half the clients uh, I see for family law when they, uh, they you know come to me and my boss uh, it's usually at the point where it's beyond repair for the divorce and they're it's at the point where you know they're whenever, they're hardly talking at all so it's it to where it seems like eh, getting them in the room for counseling would be, honestly, a much harder thing to do. Oh, I,
2: I misunderstood. I, I thought what I was saying was no. individual. No, no, I,
1: listen, so, I, th- I think both apply, right? I, I oh, think that there's a continuum, right? I think we heard shoot. the question differently.
2: Yeah, either or. <laughs> well, I think you also have to
4: change how people think about therapy as they're going through a divorce. It doesn't have to be with the intent to save the marriage. Right. It can be with the intent to unpack some of the anger and hurt and be able to, A, move forward as individuals, but B, move forward as good co-parents for your kids and set a good example for them. It's probably not going to fix the marriage if you're in one of their offers. It might, but it's probably not going to. But that doesn't mean you can't get a lot out of it. And if you go into it with a different end goal than saving the marriage, then you may not end up with the frustration or disappointment that you would if that was your choice.
3: I'll say I actually haven't, I don't think I've actually uh, recommended counselors to uh, the parents uh, that I've represented, but... We usually represent, like, you might want to consider getting your kids into counseling. Uh, sometimes they either can't afford it or just there's no time to get them to there, but we usually try to push them to that. Well, that brings up a good
1: point, and uh, Joyce, you may be able to address this because you're, you're in that world. If people don't have the means to do that, what are some ways that they can get counseling? Are, are there free options? Are there low-cost options? What can they do?
5: There are. So most communities have community mental health centers or social services agencies that offer counseling services at a sliding fee scale or even pro bono. And many therapist training facilities also offer counseling with interns and things like that. So there definitely are resources available. And at Urban Balance's website, it's like we do going to get the haircut
1: when you go that. to the the, what is it, the place where the barbers are training, right? You're yes, in school. and don't forget about
4: the schools, like you said earlier. They, that's what the counselors, a large part of their focus, I think, is is making sure that whatever's happening at home doesn't do damage to the student as yes. much as possible. The
1: schools have a lot of resources
3: to offer. I'll definitely have to be reaching out to you from some of the clients then. <laughs> <laughs> that's great.
1: Well, I think, I think it makes sense to move on. We're going to uh, go to our fourth segment uh, and talk a little bit about taxes. But first, the next segment of shows brought to you by Military Divorce Pro. Life in the military is hard. Constant moves and deployments can stress a marriage and family. And unfortunately, this can end in divorce. Like everything associated with military life, military divorce is tough. Different laws in different states, along with military rules and regulations, mean that you need a specialist. You need a pro. Our Divorce Military Pros are well-versed in everything that you need to know to move through your divorce and on to your next mission. Military Divorce Pro is a member of the Split Ready Divorce Pro Network, the premier place to find professionals for your Split Ready team. Check out Military Divorce Pro and other Divorce Pros at SplitReady.com. Click on the Build Your Team tab. If anybody has questions right oh. now, we're
4: If anybody's watching us on our Facebook Live broadcast, uh, feel free to send in some questions. We will answer those at the end of the show.
1: Fantastic. Moving on to taxes, right? Death and taxes. Luckily, divorce isn't the the other inevitability. Uh, And our tax expert tonight is um, Mark Mack. For some reason, I keep getting it wrong. Macknick. Macknick. It's not a Um, hard one. No, it's not hard, (laughs) but I keep keep wanting to see more vowels there for some reason. Uh, Founder of Mark Macknick, CPA, CVA, CDFA, and MAFF which really boils down to he does expert witness information uh, or expert witness testimony correct as a cpa forensic accounting expert which I think is interesting I want to talk a little bit about that and an expert in business valuations which I'm sure plays into divorce sometimes it does so to get things rolling why worry about taxes during divorce well, there's a lot of
0: divorce has a lot of tax implications um you know like we we're talking about uh, you know with children um, we got rid of the the new tax law, got rid of the exemptions, but we still have child care credits. we still have education credits, so that's something that needs to be addressed um, you know before the divorces you know who's going to claim the kids, uh, and, you know the tax implications what's going to happen
4: So it used to be that the lower income earner in the couple could potentially see more benefit from claiming the kids as exemptions. How has that changed with the new tax law?
0: Yeah, you know, it's a case by case basis. You know, we always uh, kind of run them, especially when we're doing the taxes for both parties after the v- divorce. Um, a lot of times they'll come to us and say, "Okay, is it more beneficial if I claim the child or if my spouse does?" And we'll kind of work it up each way. And then if they're on good terms, they'll have a little agreement between them as to, "Okay, he he'll get a bigger refund, but then you know he'll give me a little more of that."
4: So if I'm thinking about a divorce, and I think taxes are still kind of this realm of the unknown to a lot of people, they're intimidating and scary, so I'm thinking about a divorce, and I come to you, because you're my friend, I'll be like, alright, thinking about a divorce, what do I need to know about taxes that could bite me in the butt later?
0: Um, I got a good situation today, I had the exact same thing, and it had to do with retirement plans. <laughs> you know, what, what should we do with these retirement plans? Um, should we take a lump sum? You know, should we roll it over to an IRA? So that that's kind of what we look at on, uh, that's the main stuff on the divorce is the retirement planning. You know, what will happen? You know, like right now we know what the tax rates are right now. In 10 years, we don't know what they are. So sometimes we'll say, okay, let's roll that over to an IRA right now. Let's take some distributions, you know, as opposed to holding off
1: jump into the forensic part. That really is interesting to I me. Mean, and anecdotally, you hear people talk about, geez, if you're thinking about divorce, like wait a year and hide money and do all this kind of stuff. <laughs> talk a little about the role of a forensic accountant in the divorce process.
0: Um, a lot of times the forensics will happen if one spouse does think the other spouse is hiding money. Um, what we'll do is, uh, in some cases, we'll do a lifestyle analysis. Saying, okay, we know that here's all the you know, we'll back into the income. You know, here's all the expenses, they have to at least make this amount of money. And, you know, if it's way off, we know there's hidden money somewhere.
1: What, what from our attorneys here, What when do you when do you see that happen? Do you see the same kind of thing as like, all right, this is time I gotta bring in a forensic accountant.
2: Typically with businesses, mm-hmm. you know, self employed.
0: Exactly.
3: That's, that's really the big businesses. Yeah, self employed small small businesses, small medium size because uh some of them i s I've seen Kim like saying, Ooh, you need to have someone look over these books here. You got money going all over the place.
0: Yeah, in uh in regards to like business. I I've had uh you know, I know one case where I worked for, you know, a few days just trying to determine someone's income for child support purposes. Right. You know, as a business owner. You know, we, of course there's the wages, there's all the perks, all the benefits. You know add out the cars the <laughs> distribution <laughs>
2: expenses
0: exactly yeah. so and then um yeah, on the business valuation side, it seems like a lot of time the business valuations will turn will start out as a business valuation, but then it'll turn into a forensic mm-hmm. you know once you start going through and say hey, th- this isn't right So
4: if I'm looking at divorce pro se, which a lot of people do statistically, and I think my spouse may be hiding money, which a lot of people do. Um, <laughs> What would be some red flags that I would
0: be looking for? Um, so like some of the best places to start, obviously, um, a tax return. Okay. You know, looking at the tax return, you see some dividends, some interest, and some accounts that you, you know, you, you've never seen. You know, or if you could get a transcript of the tax return, see what the IRS has.
4: And anyone that's on a tax return can order a transcript. Correct. correct. So if I haven't been paying attention to my taxes for the last decade and just signing them, I can call and we'll get. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you can actually go online and get a uh, copy of your transcript, or a, it, it's like a statement of account, everything the IRS has on you, so so that's a good place to uh, to start is the uh, the tax returns, and then we kind of move from there to bank statements, just, uh, you know, the obvious stuff, and then if you get a bank statement, then you see maybe a transfer to an account that you've never seen before, then that'll open up that
1: avenue.
3: Is that kind of the same as a FOIA request?
1: Yeah. Okay. Now, how does that change the when, when, when you're involved in a litigated divorce? I know you don't. Do you, you still do litigated ones? I have limited. Litigation. Okay. When, when you're in that situation, or when you're in something that is on the surface somewhat amicable, and then all of a sudden red flags pop up. There's a business valuation going on, Someone's hiding money. Talk a little bit about how that changes the face of the divorce, and how do you kind of try and keep it together as friendly when you found someone's had it's really not financial infidelity cuz they're already getting divorced but but some degree of hiding
2: well but it is you know there's this i send them right on to the mental health professional <laughs> when they realize that you know although the tax return says that there's a $35,000 income it's really 200,000 and you know all of these things they're trying to hide and they want to pay support based on this number or they want to collect support based on this lower number and the payor paying a higher number.
3: Right. It, uh, if I were to have a client like around saying like I think someone's hiding money or something like that, I always advise them, okay, just let you know it's like we do have to prove that. That they're hiding money. And that would I'd have to advise them, well, if you want to hire someone, like a forensic uh, uh, accountant or someone to look over the books or anything like that, business valuation, you're gonna have to pay for
2: that. Yeah, it's typically and cost prohibitive, but is. they can do a lot of the work on their own. You know, we have a lot of clients who will analyze the bank statements and just look through item by item mm-hmm. and go through, and they can, if they have the wherewithal to do it or they have someone else who can help them yes. do it.
0: There'll be situations where they'll come to me and they've done all that, and, you know, I, I'll basically tell them, you know, you've done most of the work, exactly. but, you know, they just want me to look it over and say, okay, where would you go from here? So th- that happens a lot.
4: I think, too, even when it's expensive, um, in a lot of the cases, and correct me if I'm wrong, that we've seen, the cost of the forensic accounting or the lifestyle analysis is usually paid for by the findings or often paid for by the findings if there's a substantial reason to do the work, right? Okay. If it's not just based on accusations but based on I don't know what this account is, I don't know where this money is going, we spend 20000 a month but his income is 40000 If there's reasons to look usually that cost is going to be recouped, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah do, do, you ever, do you ever find, like, other weird stuff? Like, <laughs> obviously, you know, you're going through all this, and we're talking about just, like, money being hidden. Yes. But if you're analyzing someone's lifestyle, and they've mm-hmm. been hiding something, do you ever find, like, really weird stuff? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I did one What's where... What's the weirdest? Uh, well, I know. are getting that, right? <laughs> there was one I, I did. Um,
0: his, his W-2 wages were about 85000 and when I got the bank statement, his deposits were a little over 300000 for the year. Mm-hmm. So as it turned out, they were payday loans. Wow. You know, going to get a payday loan. I thought loan. you were going to say his name
1: was Heisenberg
0: and yeah. yeah. he was making and, some uh, math <laughs> And what it turned into, he, he was getting payday loans to pay off the previous payday loans, and it was just a, a cycle, oh, wow. um, some type of vice. Uh, once they kind of found out, you know, my findings, he came clean. You know, he didn't want to go any further. Wow. Yeah, those things could really um, be a scam. What What it was, I I never found
1: out. Wow.
2: Because it was cash.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's a lot of what we're Now, doing. are there
1: times where you're working with a forensic accountant and the divorce seemingly is not about some kind of infidelity, and then all of a sudden the forensic <laughs> accountant thing happens, and you look and go,
5: whoa, uh-huh. look at all these bills right. going somewhere else. To the other family. Uh-huh. Right.
1: Right.
2: Or wow. they
5: like yeah. hotels.
1: Yeah, trips, right. yeah. you know, theater,
5: jewelry, hotels, lingerie,
2: yeah. corsets, and high heels.
1: Really? that stuff. You see that stuff on there? I just, yeah, we just wow. On. We
2: could go that was like corsets.com or something. And
1: There's corsets.com? Yeah. That could be a sponsor. Oh, sorry, <laughs> they could be a sponsor
0: the
2: next yeah, time. There Another sponsor.
4: You go. Go. Groceries yeah. and corsets, we got it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just
0: had one where I was analyzing the credit card, and uh, there was a name of a corporation, and I, I questioned Person and I'm like, what is this corporation? Well, it turned out to be an area strip club. hmm Yeah. Uh, but he, he loaned his credit card to a buddy. Of course. <laughs> of, course. of course. Good friends. Of course. <laughs> yeah. well, the you credit have to have card the was compromised. Club exactly. well,
5: we're talking also about an ounce of prevention. So with couples, I often encourage financial literacy, mm. and that couples because the, these types of conflict are about control and power and information in the relationship. And if one partner isn't aware of the couple's financial standing, that probably isn't a healthy situation. So I always encourage people to ask and to become aware and to become involved and to have an active role in their financial life, regardless of what their partner does for work or what their level of skill is or knowledge in that area.
0: I agree 100 percent. I mean, there's a lot of times, especially uh, it seems to be in the older couples, they have separate bank accounts. You know, like I met with someone the other day, well, this, he doesn't know about this, this is my $50,000. <laughs> oh. You know, that happens all the time. That's you, see, wild. you see these
1: little separate ones. I'd be interested to see how cryptocurrency ones. is affecting some of that, where, you can, where it really is not. Well, like if someone buys cryptocurrency, can, can it even be tracked through? Not really.
4: The other interesting yeah. technology I hope this is, is becoming a how-to.
1: Uh, well, Venmo right.
4: and PayPal, yeah, yeah. because yes. you can hold funds there and you can hide them pretty easily, to the person who's not looking for them we the same way they used them, to be. Though. Yeah, yeah. We, I have we
5: clients that buy That's gift the, uh, cards at the grocery store mm-hmm. because their husbands won't let them buy shoes oh. or something. So mm-hmm. then right. they, they just buy gift cards at the checkout line and it gets filed as the grocery okay. store and then they go buy their shoes. Right or the
0: cash back yeah. at the grocery yeah, store. Cash right. Yeah, cash
5: back shows up. <laughs> The cash yes. back now shows yeah. up. right.
3: So. I'm having flashbacks of times when it's like it is generally with uh, older couples where it's like saying, oh my, there are four other retirement accounts that weren't accounted for.
1: Wow. <laughs> okay. And I'm sure people put away cash. How do you deal with that if, if people are, you know, we were talking about cash back, but there's some people who are in cash businesses and things mm-hmm. like that. How do you even begin to find mattress money?
0: You know, it's it's either like a lifestyle analysis right. or... Mm-hmm. If it's a business, you know, you use some industry guidelines. You know, like a bar is a good, you know, example, whereas, you know, your cost of goods sold should be thirty, thirty five percent. If someone's at eighty percent, you know, where, where the cash isn't going in the
1: drawer. But it's, if there's if it's put into cash, there's no there's nowhere to find it, right? So ultimately no. is the proof is it hard to prove where it went if they're just like, ah, I keep crappy books. Well, a lot of times we're not worried about where it went we're just worried about that
0: identifying it that it, yeah. it's it. it's yeah. it's out there.
2: So the example is the guy who doesn't make it is unemployed doesn't have bank accounts yet somehow lives in a $300,000 house mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is going to work, you know, there are text messages saying, "Oh, I have to work." Really? So that's
1: No, you're over now.
2: Unless the assistance of a private investigator. Yeah. Yeah. Here they are going to their job site. There are always signs. Yeah. How are they getting paid?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, with the uh, like the credit cards. You know, a few years back, the credit cards started sending statements to business owners on how much they took in for the year, and that kind of dinged a lot of, you know, like, cash businesses. You know, you know, I had I had a business that, you know, the tax return. All the you know, we added up sales. Okay, your sales are four hundred thousand dollars and the credit card thing comes in, he pulled in five
1: hundred and fifty. Right. Like whoops. <laughs>
2: but typically that's when we need the forensic accountant. Yeah, so I think, I think like the takeaway
1: from here yeah. is know your circumstances and and make the choice accordingly. I think a lot of people probably come and say, ah, I, got, I got a category accountant already. Well, that accountant could be helping the person hide the money and things like that. So ultimately really finding... good accountant. What's yep. yeah. They have a really good accountant. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. So it must really finding impressed. someone who's good. So we're actually going to move on to the Q&A portion of the show. This is a new part of the show where we're going to take emails and questions from at large. This portion of the show is brought to you by JCMA Marketing. At JCMA, we're with you. From web design to digital marketing, technology and CRM solutions, we help small and medium businesses, find their voice and reach their customers, partnering with them long-term to grow the scale of their businesses. Again, you're listening to Getting Split Ready and well, you've got all the questions.
4: I do, I have all now, the questions. Now, this
1: is free-for-all, right? So, hey, if you guys right. got answers. <laughs> I mean, don't step on each other, but, but, but I mean, we, got, we have a great panel tonight, so we really want your input.
4: Um, one of the most common questions other than the shared custody one was, how do I wrap my head around or how do I emotionally adjust to sharing my children with another woman or man, depending on your perspective, um, as a step-parent. How do I adjust to that and how do I deal with that? Because a lot of people aren't ready and don't want to.
5: That can be a really hard thing. And I think it's important to honor your feelings of grief and loss and to become mindful of the feelings of jealousy or, or competitiveness and to detach from ego. So to take off your your ego, we all have them, and to look from a deeper place from within yourself, your your deeper, higher, greatest self. And think about your kid and what's best for them and think about the gifts that this person may have to offer your child and perhaps even to you. They could end up being a better co-parent than your former partner and offer a lot of support to you and some freedom to do things in your life that you hadn't been able to do previously.
4: um for a tax question can we both file head of household if we do share custody 50 50.
0: no Mm -mm. why not
4: 50 50 that's what they all want to um
0: you you have to have custody of the child over six months
3: it's kind of uh, what i said about the parenting plan is um, the only thing that's required actually required on the parenting um, agreement is the residential parent that's the parent that can claim
2: kids. Yes. The custodian. Yes. And I think theoretically you could have custodian of one child to one parent and custodian Pierre. of one child to the other parent. Theoretically
0: could right you, I, you, I have clients where you could do they that. they both do head of household right. because they have two
2: correct two children. Yes.
1: Correct. Yep. I had an interesting question come actually just through through somebody I knew. Um, if you've got two people who got divorced in one state and now neither of them live in that state and they have to go back and renegotiate um, maintenance, Where where is that governed by? Like, what state do they do it in the state they're living in, the state that the payor is living in? How does that work?
3: It depends. It, it does depend. So you can always go back to Illinois if, if it, you know, they got divorced in Illinois. You can always do that. Um, really, you can, just, you can always just file, you know, where, where they're living.
1: But they any they judge, any judge can overrule or, or... Do they
2: both live in the same jurisdiction now?
1: No, they're in different states.
2: So th- neither one of them live in the state... Correct. ...the original state. Correct. I
1: believe the state that it happened in, that the divorce happened in was Colorado, mm-hmm. and now they're ones, I think, in Illinois. and So one, you would
2: have so to well. attempt to enroll the judgment in the jurisdiction where you want to have it heard. Mm-hmm. Now, how do they do that, support. though? If they
1: have an attorney, how do, they, how do they pick which attorney gets precedence in doing that? That, that
2: would be a very good where do the kids time live? to. Kids well,
1: live, I think, in Illinois.
3: It's, it's like, but it's like, I guess their kids are adults. At no, point. no, or no.
2: But you're saying a maintenance issue or child support? It's child support. Uh, it's where the both, children sure. reside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it's after. Is it different
1: between maintenance and child support?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. child-related mm-hmm. issues are going to be addressed typically where the child resides.
1: Okay. Interesting. And if it was under, because I know there's pre-prescribed payments basically based on the age of the kids and all that kind of stuff. How does that, does it just default to that if it was lower? I don't know if I understand the question. If the original settlement agreement had an amount lower than what the amount would be in now the state that they live in, would the judge adjust it to that because that's where the kids live? It
2: depends on the situation because people try to modify. There are any myriad of reasons why someone would seek a modification, whether it be a reduction in income, an increase in income, or a change in the needs of the child. The
3: the usual legal answer is what uh, my Uh, law school professors always says, like, the answer to almost every legal (laughs) question is it depends.
0: Sorry. (laughs) That (laughs) and rabbis, they say the same thing all the time. And therapists, actually.
5: There's a supervisor at Northwestern that says that all the time, and one of the students got it tattooed on her forearm. (laughs) (laughs) It depends. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um,
4: Another question Mm -hmm. for the lawyers is, does it matter who files? Mm, For the divorce case, typically no. It's It's not a uh,
3: plaintiff defendant thing. It's a petitioner respondent thing. So they use different verbiage for that. It it doesn't really matter. I think there's- Each party can file a motion for whatever it is. It's, you know, someone files for divorce. It's just a part of the process. It doesn't matter who's the petitioner or the respondent.
4: There's some thoughts out there that by filing, you become, you put yourself in a better position.
2: There are some thoughts to that. I would mm-hmm. disagree with that. I think no. the best pr- point in time and the best person files when you're split ready. There you go. <laughs> 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 you are hired. And is, we're done. No. Is.
3: Um. <laughs> See, it's on a high note, divorce cases are not held in front of a jury to where type of verbiage might could potentially sway someone. It's always in front of a judge, and they've heard a thousand cases before. And know that it might matter
2: guy. if you're trying to um, put forth a claim of some sort of abuse and seeking, um, exclusive possession of a residence, protection for yourself or for your children. Um, in that instance, I think it could make a difference. But other than that, I recommend um, that my clients work through as much of their agreements as they possibly can prior to ever going to court. You know, we ideally would like to take our clients to court one time at the time of the prove up hearing. And resolve everything outside of court. Court is a stressful place.
3: That's a very good point. It's like, yeah, I would agree. Like, if it's an instance of abuse, I would probably say it's probably better to be the petitioner in that case.
4: So, in instances of really high conflict or abuse, it could be.
3: Um, most cases, I would say no.
4: We went over some of these already. Um, how often should we change our co-parenting plan? Was a question that someone gave. As needed. It's like, it's really just- Like, like every couple of weeks when we don't agree on something? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's
3: really just when something, I would say when something big or major happens or when it's not, or sh- when it's not working anymore. Like say the child has a, you know, starts like dancing and say dancing is on Thursdays, but then goes to a completely different thing like hockey or something and say hockey is on Sundays. And let's say the parent that has the kid for the Thursday can't take the take them for the uh, their extracurriculars an, anymore. So you'd probably change the agreement for that, or like I said, just any anything to where any substantial changes, to like like it's just said the as needed
1: basis. Now, but will that because we talked about the 146 overnights, right? If there's a change because of those changes of circumstances, is it easier than to? Adjust it to where the 146 overnights matters less because there's some type of measurable reason.
2: I mean, a lot of times people yeah. want to also modify support if they're modifying the parenting time. Always modify support. You know, support. ideally, you would want to work with your co parent and figure out how you get your children's needs met. You know, we like to say that. Um, an allocation of parental responsibilities and parenting time ideally is a guide and and you would put that in a drawer and then work with the other parent and you take it out only as you need to
1: this brings up an interesting question for me and it kind of goes back to the forensic accounting are there times post-divorce where there's a petition for a decrease in maintenance or a decrease in child support and somebody has kind of figured out hey if I do X Y and Z since the divorce I can get those lowered do you ever bring in a forensic account to say, no, 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 no. We kind of see what you're doing at this point.
2: Absolutely. You probably get a lot of post-decree yes. issues. Yeah. Actually, people think
1: they're smarter than the system.
3: I haven't had that happen once because every time I've normally done a um, modifying maintenance or child support, it's always been mom or dad has a new job. So you need to modify the support.
2: W-2 and earners are usually the easier ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was,
1: was going to say, sure. I mean... <laughs>
4: Another uh, tax question that we got was on the new tax law. Um, I've always paid taxes on the fossil support that I receive. How can I change that so that I don't have to pay taxes? And he does now that the law is that.
0: Um, With, like, support. With maintenance. Yeah, they kind of eliminated that, but it's still grandfathered if it was happening before. Mm
4: -hmm. I think the question was that they don't want to be the ones paying the taxes on the support that they are getting and want to jump on board with the new laws no, the
2: the, eh. by, the fact of the new statute being in effect does not modify what they their judgment so Correct. their judgment no. is still in place and that still applies and
3: like I said even if you go back and like uh, adjust something it always goes back to that original judgment because like you every case has a number with it it always starts with like the last two digits of the year it always goes back to that year so it always like like the old statute applies or something like that. I've done a few things where, you know, child support changes kind of often, you know, maintenance changed this year. So it's always, you always have to, we always have to write it in the order. It's based off of the old law or old statute.
4: So the question that kept coming up about having to share their kids with the new step parents, can agreements or rules about introducing new partners be written into the parenting plan or something like that so that there's some groundwork laid before that happens. Yes. And the ounce of prevention type theme. Absolutely.
5: Yes. And issues around overnights when dating and things like that. I think those are good things to address. Like I said, it's, uh, they're very, parenting plans are very, very flexible. So
3: if you want to put something in, in there like that, you absolutely do that.
4: So I've seen some parenting plans that are bare bones, and I've seen some that are 20 pages long. Do you yeah. have a preference?
3: uh it well it depends on uh, i guess how contested it is it's like I, I mean i always prefer the the briefer ones because it's just very usually to the point but sometimes it's if it's very heavily contested then sometimes you need 28 pages
2: i think typically around somewhere around 20 pages is kind of standard uh, to provide for all of those shared responsibilities when you're talking about a true shared parenting situation of you know sharing responsibilities for education for religion for medical um, all of those things and the parenting time and the holidays how you're going to share holiday breaks and that um, how you're going to communicate with the other parent um,
3: there's an awful lot that goes into it so like i said you know 20 20 pages it's like the ones i've seen can usually average around 12 pages, but there's not as much that they fight over, but it's always, it's always how contested it is, in my experience.
4: So the most popular question that we got, I say for last. What is child support supposed to cover and what does it not cover?
3: <laughs> uh,
2: living expenses for yeah. the children. <laughs> <laughs> it, that, it, medical ex- out-of-pocket mm-hmm. medical expenses, extracurricular activities, and other so the- extra. Like two what?
4: questions that were does it cover um like travel ball like expensive extracurricular should that be included in child support and the other question was with um school registration fees being five hundred dollars per year in some school districts is that considered child sport? those were the two examples given and go <laughs> <laughs>
3: usually when it comes to extracurricular activities i actually normally put the cost like who pays the cost of that uh, in the Parenting agreement, with that. Like I said, it's that because that's always a thing. Like you know, does child support Curtis Like so, scale? give an example
4: if you could. What I'll say, is, uh, you
3: know, I grew up in Texas, and we always had a UIL thing for anything for it came from like sports, like football or band or choir. You had to pay a uh, hundred and seventy-five dollars uh, for a UIL registration fee in Texas. So you can pull po- you can put in the mer- settlement agreement that, you know, ex-parent is going to pay the UIL registration fees for that. And like I said, it's, it could be the person who's receiving child support, it could be the person who's paying child support. It you Usually modify with that, but would that be counted as part of child support? Yep, probably.
4: What if you have little kids and you don't know what kind of activities you're looking at, that you're not, you don't know that you're going to have a uh, concert violinist on your hands and going to have all those expenses. Typically
2: we're seeing that extracurricular expenses are apportioned in relation to the income of the parties Yeah, exactly. and also Mm -hmm. by agreement and also can one or the other afford it. So you know there are a lot of things that come into play when determining (laughs) whether or not there's going to be a contribution to those extracurricular expenses and sometimes we have to go back in and ask for a contribution if the person isn't willing to contribute and then the court is going to consider you know the respective incomes of the parties the particular extracurricular activity in light of the aptitude of the oh. child the the you know well, desire of the child i just put
3: one thing in my parenting agreements called a true update and that's where they kind of um at least once a quarter usually because it's a little hard i say it's a little more stressful to do it once a month is where they come together the parents come together and they see what they paid for and try to make that 50 50 if one person paid more then they chew up and you know pay them their portion
4: and there's some great technology out there for to do that now so they don't have to sit down at the kitchen table with their individual receipts and spreadsheets and go over money because that would work out super well for a lot of divorced parents
3: but i would always say like you know when it comes to activities like you know paying for the violin just pay you know just don't worry about like oh is this what can be covered by the um, child support payments for that just kind
0: of you know, I mean, it could for, get into a lot of makes. money though you can you know travel yeah. baseball sure. we have a oh, guest speaker <laughs> <laughs> hold yeah. on one moment
4: was... i'm sorry we're going The was what does child support cover and we got into a discussion about extracurriculars oh, okay. but i always say the short and sweet of it roof overhead food on table shoes on feet That's the kind of basic. Well, (laughs) (laughs) so that's the basic, you know, roof, uh, clothes, food is the basic child support, and then we get into, well, that's not the complete child. So that's how I kind of like for a client when I think when the question is asked is, well, I'm paying child support. Why do I have to pay all these other things? The child support really is the basic needs of the child, but I think you have to really explain that to a client because i think a lot of conflict revolves
0: around this that's but actually, i am paying a, child support. That's actually yeah. a very good explanation. Thank you. Yeah, i mean there's Sorry. there,
1: there well, there's my kids a different amounts so i don't know how build I read that books at
0: say okay your child support's x amount 4% goes to transportation 23% go, <laughs> you know they they break it down yeah. that much. Oh yeah. You know, i think it's who governs it, the food and drug administration or the no it's uh you know the, the FDA. Yeah. I think they so
4: terrific. our answer is like, what, what's, uh, what's the cost
1: to raise a kid? It depends. It also yeah. our is our, it it our best
4: answer
2: is it depends. <laughs> it depends on <laughs> it the <depends>. I've <laughs> become an expert yeah. tonight, I don't And it depends about. on your it judge, depends. Frankly.
3: Oh it does absolutely depend on your challenge.
0: T- yeah, but I think the extracurricular is a big thing. It really Huge. is, I
4: think, for extracurriculars now versus even when I was a kid versus the the costs and the commitment levels are a lot higher than they used to be. I mean you're yeah, at no, no, like a travel, stuff. baseball, a
0: hockey, you know, you could be in ten, twenty thousand dollars a year. Or private school. Yeah. yeah, you
4: know, I had a and client then, who was in yeah. pageants. The amount they spent on
0: dresses and
4: pageants—holy moly! Oh
0: my! Yeah. So. I mean, then you get in a, so this, the depends. situation where maybe, <laughs> you know, okay, travel baseballs cost three thousand dollars, and one of the spouses, says, "Well, I don't want to pay for that." Right. So is it an agreed-upon thing, or right.
1: you know, you got to address if we're good, it? Then you got to decide who's going to get the money from the contract. <laughs> the <neighbors, right? laughs> well, All I think right. this is a great, great time. Tonight. You guys have been fantastic guests. Thank you. I think. I'm loving the new format, I think. So thank you all. Thank you. Um again, you. our guests tonight were. Let me go through. I know who you guys are, but I, you know, just so I don't forget anybody. It's the credentials you need to look it's at. It's the credentials I gotta worry the about. Long there list I wonder
5: here. if he's gonna get Mark's name right. There, I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I am well you know what I made a notation
1: on here which threw me off. So we had Rachel Hernandez, founder of Hernandez Hogue Legal Solutions. Alec Blaylock, attorney from John F. Baker Law. Joyce Smarter, founder of Urban Balance. And Mark Macknick from Mark Macknick, CPA.
4: Thank you for joining us tonight for our Getting Split Ready podcast. And if you or someone you know is considering or going through a divorce, uh, please go to splitready.com, take the assessment, tell them about the website, and remember that you can get through your divorce with your finances, your integrity, and hopefully some sanity intact.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.